Released in 1967, Point Blank began life in 1962 with the publication of a novel called The Hunter. A thief steals $30,000 from a group of arms dealers, only for his partner to shoot him and leave him for the police. For good measure, his partner then takes off with his wife. The thief goes to prison, escapes and sets off to hunt them down. The Hunter was written by Richard Stark, whose real name was Donald Westlake, a phenomenally prolific author who penned over 100 novels in a variety of genres under a variety of pseudonyms. Now, let's take this slowly. While Westlake wrote under several pseudonyms, he also wrote scripts for films and television. But his best script was an adaptation not from his own work, but from another pulp writer, Jim Thompson. Thompson was one of the greats of American série noir, and like Westlake, he did not only write books, he too dabbled in cinema, working with no less a talent than Stanley Kubrick on two films, The Killing and Paths of Glory. Anyway, on his own, Thompson wrote a terrific piece of sleaze called The Grifters, and when the film rights to the novel came available, Hollywood knew that there was only one person who could shake the movie into shape, and that was Donald Westlake, a.k.a. Richard Stark, author of The Hunter. Now, The Hunter. In the novel, the thief is called Parker. In Point Blank, the movie, he's called Walker. Walker is a man of solitude. He doesn't speak much, he moves very quickly, and all his actions erupt in shocking, visceral violence. Westlake's novel was originally adapted by Alexander Jacobs and David and Rafe Newhouse, and that version of the script was presented to Lee Marvin in 1966, when he was in London filming The Dirty Dozen. It was felt an English director might bring something of interest, so John Borman was approached. Borman had started out making documentaries with the BBC before directing his first feature, Catch Us If You Can, a silly confection that failed to do for the Dave Clark Five what Richard Lester had done for the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night. But Borman's direction showed an appreciation for European art house cinema. Borman read the script and took a meeting with Lee Marvin. The two men immediately hit it off, partially it would seem because Borman had the honesty to say that the character in the movie was interesting but the script was weak. Marvin agreed, they threw the script away and began pruning it back to make Walker a lean, mean vengeance machine. Where can I find Royce? What she's got to do with this? What are you doing to my car? What I did to your delivery boy? I didn't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. Tell me. I can't tell you. I can't think. Point Blank was Borman's first American film, and when he went to meet with the studio, Marvin made sure he was there also. Marvin had just won an Oscar for Cat Ballou, which gave him enormous clout, and so he asked the producers and the MGM executives who had script approval. You do, they said. And principal cast? You do, Mr. Marvin. And who has creative control over the film? You do. Very well, said Marvin. I defer all of those responsibilities to John. Point Blank has its origins in noir. The novel belongs to the pulp fiction tradition, but Borman's movie is more than noir. He fused straight 50s American plotting with 60s European artists, taking the elliptic editing style of French director Alain René, combining it with the stark visual design of Italian director Michelangelo Antonioni, and then creating a unique colour palette to deliver a dreamlike feel to the scenes. And that eerie feeling is further enhanced by Johnny Mandel's modern atonal score.
Lee Marvin was a direct descendant of not one, but two American presidents, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. He served in World War II, and during the Battle of Saipan, he and his platoon were ambushed and he was shot. He received the Purple Heart. The bullet just missed his sciatic nerve, but it cut through the rest of Marvin's life. You see, most of his platoon were wiped out, and it plagued Marvin with feelings of cowardice and guilt thereafter. When Borman showed the finished film to MGM executives, he was worried that they would demand reshoots and take the film away from him. MGM had long been known as the most conservative studio in Hollywood. But when the studio's supervising editor, Margaret Booth, saw it, she told the bosses not to touch a frame. Again, another godsend for Borman. There are two other adaptations from the novel, Full Contact by Hong Kong director Ringo Lam, which I haven't seen, and Payback that starred Mel Gibson, which I have seen and I wish I hadn't. Anyway, what you're hearing now is the celebrated sequence that takes place early on in the film. It goes on for over a minute, and while Walker stalks down a seemingly endless and empty corridor, while we hear the sounds of his heavy, size 13 shoes, the movie cuts back and forth across the city, from the present to the future, then a possible future and an imagined present, and all the while, we hear the footsteps, the aggregate of which delivers us for a kaleidoscopic view of Walker's final journey. 